We're going to continue here on the lessons of from the Beis HaLevi who brings down on Achavas Israel. So today we're going to learn the feeling of hate also engenders resentment and dispute. So furthermore, many sins are caused by hatred. The tractate Derek Eretz in chapter 9, we find here the Rabbi Elazar HaKapar uh, uh, says, distance yourself from resentment. For if you are resentful, you will continue to sin. And the tractate Derek Eretz, Zutana, in chapter 3, it is found, be humble of spirit in the presence of every person and to the members of your household more than any than anyone or everyone else. For if you are resentful and fight with your household, your end will be to Gehenna. Wow, that's strong. That is a strong word. So let's add a little bit more to this than what we just uh, learned here. Where it says that when he talks about distance yourself from resentment, it doesn't mean argument or fighting, but resentment or complaint. A complainer may not commit any specific sin, but complaining in itself leads to many sins. So here, although the Beis Halavi is discussing the sin of hatred, in truth, the root of all hatred is negative feelings because resentment leads to hatred. Resentment is, in essence, the core issue of complaining as well. So these traits are generally intertwined. So what defines a complainer? A person who's always complaining. Rabbeinu Yonah defines a complainer as one who consistently complains and who repeatedly disparages whatever his fellow says or does. Even if his fellow is acting properly towards him, he will constantly judge him negatively, assuming that any wrong he does was done intentionally. And whatever his friend does to say, he continually is complaining, even when the friend is trying to help. So the Beis HaLavi writes that one who is constantly complaining will sometimes perceive Hashem's kindness as punishment and vengeance. This occurred when the Jewish people were in the wilderness. After the spies returned with their negative report about Eretz Israel, the Torah writes, And you complained in your tents, saying Hashem took us out of Egypt with hatred. We see this in the, in the book of Devarim. So one may consider the trait of resentment as an unpleasant or negative. However, in the eyes of the Torah, it's far worse than that. Shlomo Amalek, the wisest, the wisest of, of, of men, teaches in Mishlei about the detrimental outcome of a complainer. A duplicitous man incites strife, and a nirgan complainer exchanges an aluf. The Rashi interprets aluf to mean alufo shelolam. The ruler of the world, Hashem, which means that complainers separate themselves from Hashem. Alternatively, Rabbeinu Yonah explains that aluf refers to a friend for one who is always complaining will cause his friends to distance themselves from him. So, and rather than feeling resentful when matters don't go his way, a person has to work on himself to be humble. To be humble and easygoing with others. Rav Haim Bital writes, Praiseworthy is one who is easygoing with others. Praiseworthy is the one who is humble if, if he is mere dust, letting others trample on him as if he is a doormat. The Pera Yoetz 
writes a fascinating explanation. The Yetzara is so powerful that he convinces a person that complaining and arguing brings one to perfection and that one without such feelings is not human. Unbelievable, right? The Yetzara does to us. How can the Torah require one not to have any feelings or opinions towards another? Aren't we all human? So the Pelayoet offers two techniques. First, one who lives with Emunah, with Bitahon, belief in Hashem, understands that anything that someone else does to him is only from Hashem himself. When, when one attributes everything to Hashem, he doesn't become upset with anyone, for he knows that this person is only an emissionary of Kadosh Baruch Hu. And second, a person who learns Musar on a consistent basis will acquire the trait of humbleness, and therefore enabling him to be calm and easygoing. So more important than being kind and positive with one another, a person has to work on living peacefully also with his family members. And this concept applies all the time and in every single situation. Uh, however, the, the Chidah states that on Arab Shabbat, one must be even extra careful because Arab Shabbat is often a very tense time and the Yetzara enters our homes and seeks to create anger and tension. He looks for that makloket. The Yetzara wants to come in, especially on Arab Shabbat because he knows everything is rush, 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 rush. And that's when he can come in and create a lot of makloket, guys. So the Chidah writes that a God-fearing Jew must subdue his evil inclination to, so there will be no fighting or anger. So to the contrary, one should always pursue peace. The Sharei HaKedushah in his commentary to the Chidah cites a source for the author's words from an incident related in the Gemara in Masekah Gitin. There were two men whom the Satan would cause to argue every ever Shabbat. Rabbi Mir came to their town and spent three weeks there bringing peace between them. And he was leaving and, and he heard a voice proclaim, Woe to that Rabbi Mir through him, referring to himself, out of his house. Through his peacemaking efforts, Rabbi Mir succeeded in overcoming the Satan and driving him away. So the Ben Ishai develops this concept further. He notes that people might naturally be inclined to attribute the mishaps that arise on Arab Shabbat to those who are involved in his preparation. But in truth, however, all these things happen because of the Satan. It's not a natural result of preparing for Shabbat, but rather a concentrated effort of the Satan himself. So therefore, he writes that when a family member, whether a spouse or a child, does something that causes aggravation on Friday, on Arab Shabbat, one has to say, what can I expect from him or her? Is it possible to fight the Satan? This is the mindset that we have to have. So why does the Satan put so much effort into causing arguments on Arab Shabbat? So the Hokmas Hamatzpun explains that Shabbat is a time of peace and tranquility. And we say in the Shmona Esrei of Shabbat in Mincha, it is a day of peaceful rest serenity and tranquility so therefore the yetzara makes a concerted effort right before shabbat to interfere and instigate arguments so that we go into shabbat with resentment and ill will so in the end just so we know a complainer will receive punishment in the world to come additionally rabbeinu yonah writes that the punishment for such a person who sees and focuses only on the bad 
is as the verse says in Mishlei, if one repays good with evil, evil will not depart from his house. So the commentaries explain that Hashem rewards and punishes midah keneget midah. Measure for measure, guys. This person who does not appreciate those around them and who finds only fault with others will be punished in the same way. So when he comes home, his family won't recognize the good that he's doing. They won't see how hard he works or how much effort he puts into supporting his family. This is a very powerful incentive to maintain a calm and pleasant demeanor. We all want to be appreciated. If one appreciates others, remember others will appreciate in fact him. Going back to Mida Kenega Bita. So let's talk about complaining i want to talk about complaining here because we all have sometimes we just get into a, a, a situation where we complain so is it is, is it permitted is complaining permitted so the mishnah states that one who hires workers and they deceive each other they can have complaints they can have complaints against each other so the gemara explains that the mishnah refers to an employer who tells one of his employees to hire additional workers at a specific rate and he finds workers offered them and he found workers and offered them a lower rate <coughs> and they accepted but later they learned that the employer had originally offered a higher rate nevertheless since they accepted the position at a lower rate or, or wage they can't demand a higher wage so however since it was unfair of the employee to offer them less the hired workers have a right to complain so Rav Israel Salanter wonders what the Mishnah means by saying that the workers have a right to complain can someone always complain if he wants to so he answers no you need to have the right to complain so just as when someone dents your car the Torah gives you the halachic right to demand monetary compensation so too there are certain situations where you have the right to complain you have a right to tell someone that what he did was wrong but in other cases when you don't have a right to complain it is improper to do so so just as when somebody owes you a hundred dollars and you forgive the debt you don't have a right to go back and ask him for the money the same thing holds true when it comes to the rights of complaints once someone has been appeased and has forgiven the person he no longer has the right to complain and if that person does complain he is doing so illegally so when you forgive the person you give up your right to complain so Rabbi Israel says that if one would train himself to feel that having that an, an illegal complaint against someone is like trying to reclaim a debt that he already forgave he would be well on the way to not having negative feelings towards others and of course this is expected of sincere ballet Busar, who are in control of their emotions and actions but the main takeaway for us is that complaints are not an absolute right in every circumstance so i also want to open up also that it begins at home it begins at home guys in your own home the base halavi quotes that the teaching of our sages that one has to be humble to all people even more so even more so to one's own family that many people are renowned for their wonderful acts of hesed or the organizations that they had but how about at home how are they at home with their wife and with their children and with their family does their benevolence warmth and care still exist when they're out of the public eye so Rav Yehuda Ades which is a Rosh Hashiva Yeshiva Kol Hayakov re relates the following incident 
When Rabbi Adis was in his mid-40s, a friend asked him to join him in going into Galut, in exile. Many Gadolim of yore would go into self-imposed exile. They would leave their homes and their positions to go to a town where no one knew them. And then they would sit in an unknown shul from, or go from house to house asking for meals and spend their time just learning and connecting to Hashem without being respected as they would have been had they been identified as prominent rab- Rabbanim. This friend wanted to take a few weeks during the summer vacation period to travel anonymously. He thought that this was a way for them to become closer to Hashem. So Rabbi Adas responded, you don't want to go into Galus? You want to go on a picnic. It's much easier to go into Galus than to stay at home and deal with your family responsibilities. You just want a vacation. And so people don't realize that you can experience tremendous spiritual growth at home through overcoming the challenges of day-to-day life in your very own household. Many years ago, um, there was he took a group on a trip to Eretz Israel, and they went to Meron on Lagbomer. And from there, they went straight to Rav Adis's home. They excitedly told them all the different things that they have done, and they mentioned that they had gone to the Arizal's Mikvah in spots. And there are various agulot, the mystical concepts that are associated with this holy mikveh. So Ra'ades equipped that every time you walk into your home, when you open the door, imagine, imagine that you're diving into the Arizal's mikveh. The Arizal's mikveh is very cold. And you have to get ready for the change in temperature. So you embrace yourself a bit for it because you know, you know you're feeling elevated. You're being elevated to a higher level. So likewise, every time you walk into your house and there are challenges and difficulties and you walk in with a smile and you keep your composure, you're diving into the Arizal's Mikveh. What Kavanah that we should be having. And talking about Maklokit, which causes destruction, the Rambam, in a letter to his son, and I'm sure that many of us have read the letter to his son, and it's very powerful and frightening words about how terrible Makloket is. He writes, don't soil your soul with Makloket, which destroys the body, the soul, and all monetary possessions. Yes, guys, listen, all monetary possessions, and nothing is left. I have seen people who were white, Righteous, pure people become black, sinful people, and lowly people who have become even lower. Families that have been wiped out, noblemen who have been demoted, large cities that have been shaken, groups who have become divided, and pious men who've lost their worth, trustworthy people who have been lost, and honorable people who have been ridiculed and shamed, all because of Makloket. So the prophets prophesize, sages, have wisely delved and philosophers have searched and spoken at length to teach about how detrimental Maklokis is. But none of them, none have reached the end. So therefore you shall hate it, Maklokit. Run away, run fast from it and distance yourself from all those who love it. So similarly in Rikshik quotes the following statement of our sages. A household that has strife will end in the end be destroyed. A shul that has controversy will in the end be destroyed. And some say that it will be dispersed. So about 200 years ago, Rav Haim Palagi, Rav Haim Palagi, the chief rabbi of Turkey, wrote, 
It is well known that in a place where there are disputes, makloket, the blessings leave. And furthermore, he says, I personally have witnessed that of every person, family, country, and city that had a dispute, none walked away free of damages and bruises, whether on the body or in their finances, in their pockets, guys. And all those these statements seem harsh and frightening. It is important to know. We have to know the consequences of Makloket. Whenever a, one finds himself in a situation where it seems that it might be worthwhile to argue, you have to consider the above, what we just mentioned previously. You have to be mindful of the damage that it creates. And true, there are situations which actions must be taken, but a person has to be sure to seek advice and to speak to the Dulim before becoming embroiled in a controversy. Becoming involved in a makloka is akin to playing with fire, mamish fire. So how about the makloket that are relating to L'Shem Shemayim? How about those? So the Beis Halavi speaks about the danger of makloket. So sometimes people look for an excuse. They cite the concept of makloket, you know, L'Shem Shemayim, which that implies that if the dispute is for the sake of heaven, if for, the, for the sake of Hashem is permitted, and it's even required. And they claim that the man they are fighting with is a sinner. Or that he's spreading improper ideas and for whatever reason they think that they have the right to pursue this person. The Sefer Nodah Be Yehuda states there is nothing worse, nothing worse than Makloket. And in our times it's very hard to find someone who is arguing Lashem Shemayim. Bear in mind that this was written like 250, 300 years ago. And so in most cases this justification does not, doesn't apply. But even when it does seem to be L'Shem Shamayim, how does one know if he's being honest with himself? So in life, there's a very important rule. The Sifra and Musar teach that if someone acts with exceptional exuberance, more so than how he generally performs a mitzvah, we have to question it. We have to question it. For example, if a man doesn't usually stay up past 11 o'clock at night, and even when putting up a sukkah, he still keeps his 11 o'clock bedtime, Yet somehow when he deals with a makloke that he considers L'Shem Shamayim, he's up till like 1 o'clock in the morning. So you have to question, why is there so much excitement and exuberance coming from this makloke? If it's coming from a mitzvah, then why isn't it like this in all other mitzvahs that he does? Why isn't he putting forth more effort here? So our good inclination does not drive us as much as our bad inclination does and that's just the way of the world we should always question always question ourselves to understand what is truly driving us what's the real deal there and this is an important point a, 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 a legendary story is told about Rav Chaim Velozner who founded the famous yeshiva Velozhin when he initially had the idea of opening the yeshiva he approaches Rebbe the Gaon of Vilna to ask his opinion so Gaon, the Gaon told him that he didn't think it was a good idea. So a year later, he went back again to ask about starting the yeshiva. And this time, the Vilna Gaon asked him, asked him a few questions and told him he approved of the idea. So Rav Haim asked him, like, what had changed from the previous year when he not, didn't approve of the idea. The Vilna Gaon said that the previous year, Rav Haim had been filled with excitement and exuberance. He was concerned that maybe his enthusiasm wasn't coming from the right place 
and he feared that Rav Chaim was too excited for it to be Lashem Shemayim. But when Rav Chaim came the second time, he was calmer. So the Gayon saw that he was coming with the right intention. So this is an incredible concept. We have to always question ourselves, always, even regarding something that seems very good. If so, surely regarding a makloket, it is very, very hard to determine if it is really based and really going for and stemming from and going towards an effort of Lashem Shamayim. So we really have to do introspection. We really have to really, really understand where is this really coming from. If it's really Lashem Shamayim, then that's another story. But it could very easily be not Lashem Shamayim. It could be driven by a lot of different reasons, which is why it's so important that we have to look deep into it and we have to figure out where is this coming from and why am I so wanting to be involved in such a makloket, such a makloket. When we already learned already today that makloket is something that we definitely want to run far away as if there's fire and you need to run for your life because the 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 reward of makloket is not really a reward. It's mamish, it's gehenim. And I don't know about you, but definitely I don't want to even think about the fires that go on there, especially if it's going to cause a loss of financial anything or just a loss of anything in 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 the next world so we have to learn how delicate it is to be involved in any type of makloket and i know that there's a lot of people out there that sometimes do this raw raw oh we have to go do this oh let's go protest let's go protest for this you have to be very very careful and what we're doing because any protest protest it's basically a form of makloket. So before you even think or a person should think about being involved in something that has to do with makloket, check yourself. Check yourself and actually seek das Torah before a person just jumps in. Even if the masses want a person to pull into makloket, seek das Torah. Go to a rab, talk to the rab, ask the rab, is this something that I should be doing and then follow in his direction. Again, check. I love the, I, I love the phrase, check with your local orthodox rabbi if this is something that you should be doing because the makloket is not something that is a, 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 um, a, a light thing to take lightly. It's actually something very, very serious. And I can tell you it's, you know, the damage that comes from that, it's sometimes irreparable. So I don't even know what type of chuva a person can do because it could affect a lot of people. So what I'm saying is that always seek das Torah if you are questioning something. If it smells like makloke, run, run away. And so as we always give here in the Beis HaLevi, I want us to think about today a top list thing that we can do is basically find areas in your life where sometimes you quickly agree to join in, you know, whether it's on a WhatsApp group or whether it's on an email, even if it's social media, that you see there's a form of makloka going around and you decide you want to share something or you want to add a comment to it or agree to it or whatever. That's also involving yourself in a makloket. The Beis Alavi is talking about, you know, not something that's happening back in the times where he was alive. He's, this applies to us today. And today we have social media and we have technology. And that is also a lot of people do a lot of makloket on technology. A lot of people share a lot of things on technology and social media, whether it's WhatsApp or email or on, or on Facebook or whatever technology they're on, TikTok or, or Instagram, whatever. And you see the fire going around like crazy. That's also makloket, guys. Don't think because it didn't come out of your mouth and you just pushed a button and you sent it off. It's not makloket. 
that is also makloket. So a thing for you to do is see in areas in your life that you are, are, are maybe prone to, maybe, or maybe you have been, and you didn't see something as a way of makloket or a form of makloket, and start to really analyze and really look at what you're doing and make sure that it is not a situation of makloket before you decide to jump in. Okay, and just be, be, be very mindful and have eyes wide open when it comes to such a situation. If it has a little tinge of any type of a smell of makloket in it, check yourself. Check yourself. Check das Torah. Do not, do not, do not get involved. Do not be attached because it's extremely, extremely damaging as we just learned. So Bezat Hashem will continue with these lessons tomorrow. Hazak Baruch, Baruch Adonai, Amen ve Amen.